Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. You know what your problem is? Your face. You're too good looking. These girls go out with you and they get nervous, man. They feel dumpy. The best thing that can happen to you, Danny, is an industrial accident. It's about men. Hi. 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 It's about women. Her big move should be coming up any moment. Combination hair flip with a giggle. (laughs) Yes! Bravo! It's about sex. I was pretty drunk last night. Did anything happen? No, absolutely nothing. Want to do it again? It's about strategy. You called her twice? Dan, never call abroad more than once a week. Never, ever, ever. It's about risk. I think maybe you ought to have a drawer over here. A drawer? A whole drawer? It's about friendship. I'm moving in with Danny. I'll give you two months. You don't go here, you don't go there. You're as much fun as a stick. It's about words. I love you, Danny. Who said it first? I did. Oh, Dan, 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 Dan. It's about honesty. Did you sleep with him? No, Dan, we were bowling partners. It's about commitment. I love you! It'll pass! No, it won't! It's about romance. And you are a psychopathic, schizophrenic, maladjusted social misfit. So you want to dance or what? It's about last night. Starring Rob Lowe, Demi Moore, Jim Belushi, and Elizabeth Perkins. About last night. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie About Last Night from 1986. The studio TriStar Pictures released date July 4th, 1986. The running time, 113 minutes, and it was rated R. The budget was $8.5 million, and the box office was a success, taking in $38.7 million, making it the 26th ranked movie of 1986. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 61% fresh from 28 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, About Last Night will perturb fans of the original stage play by sanding down its peculiar edges, but an amiable cast and sexual frankness make this a pleasantly grounded romantic comedy. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 4 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. If one of the pleasures of moviegoing is seeing strange new things on screen, another pleasure, and probably a deeper one, is experiencing moments of recognition. Times when we can say, yes, that's exactly right, that's exactly the way it would have happened. About Last Night is a movie filled with moments like that. It has an eye and an ear for the way we live now, and it has a heart too, and a sense of humor. It's a love story. A young man and a young woman meet and fall in love, and over the course of a year, they try to work out what that means to them. It sounds like a simple story, and yet About Last Night is one of the rarest of recent American movies because it deals fearlessly with real people instead of with special effects. If there's anyone more afraid of a serious relationship than your average customer in a singles bar, it's a Hollywood producer. American movies will cheerfully spend millions of dollars on explosions and chases to avoid those moments when people are talking seriously and honestly to one another. 
After all, writing good dialogue takes some intelligence. Oh, man. Good thing Roger Ebert isn't around to see what movies have evolved into today. Back to his review. And intelligence is what sparkles all through about last night. Intelligence and a good body comic sensibility. The story is kind of predictable in About Last Night, if you have ever been young and kept your eyes open. There are only a limited number of basic romantic scenarios for young people in the city, and this movie sees through all of them. What's important is the way the characters look and sound, the way they talk, the way they reveal themselves, the way they grow by taking chances. Time after time there are shocks of recognition, as the movie shows how well it understands what's going on. Rob Lowe and Demi Moore, members of the Hollywood Brat Pack, are survivors of last summer's awful movie about yuppie singles called St. Elmo's Fire. This is the movie St. Elmo's Fire should have been. Last summer's movie made them look stupid and shallow. About Last Night gives them the best acting opportunities either one has ever had, and they make the most of them. Moore is especially impressive. There isn't a romantic note that she isn't required to play in this movie, and she plays them all flawlessly. Jim Belushi and Elizabeth Perkins are good too, making us realize how often the movies pretend that lovers live in a vacuum. When a big new relationship comes into your life, it requires an adjustment of all of the other relationships as well, and a certain amount of discomfort and pain. Belushi and Perkins provide those levels for the story, and a lot of its loudest laughs too. The movie is based on sexual perversity in Chicago, a play by David Mamet. The screenplay is by Tim Kazernsky and Denise DeClue, smooths out Mamet's more episodic structure, and adds three-dimensional realism. It's a wonderful writing job, and Edward Zwick, directing a feature for the first time, shows a sure touch. His narrative spans an entire year, and the interest never lags. By the way, Kazernsky was Sweet Chuck in the Police Academy of Films. Why is it that love stories are so rare from Hollywood these days? Have we lost faith in romance? Is love possible only with robots and cute little furry things from the special effects department? Have people stopped talking? Top Gun was so afraid of real relationships that its real love affair was with airplanes. About Last Night is a warm-hearted and intelligent love story and one of the year's best movies. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So on the surface, and by the trailer, About Last Night seems like your typical 80s romantic comedy. But what is unique about the film is... It really isn't a comedy at all. It's about as dramatic and real as it gets, especially if you've been in a romantic relationship like Rob Lowe and Demi Moore. Now granted, there are definitely funny moments, mostly coming from Jim Belushi and Elizabeth Perkins, but when I saw this as a teenager, I thought the movie was sort of boring. I was kind of expecting something like 16 Candles. However, fast forward 25 years later, and About Last Night resonates way more than it did when I was a kid. Alright, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have Rob Lowe, who plays Danny. I've always thought that Rob Lowe was almost too good-looking. And as a matter of fact, Jim Belushi even says this in the film about Rob Lowe's character. So Lowe's movie career began with a who's who of young actors in the 1980s, and that was in The Outsiders. The same year, he was in the movie Class with Andrew McCarthy and Jacqueline Bissett. In 1984, he was in two films, one I had never seen. I just saw The Hotel New Hampshire, which is crazy, with Jodie Foster, and Oxford Blues, which I have not seen. But then it was another Who's Who ensemble cast in 1985 that Roger Ebert mentioned with St. Almost Fire, which I own, but really does not hold up well. And then there was a hockey film with Patrick Swayze called Youngblood before About Last Night. 
Demi Moore plays Debbie. And Moore was still early in her career like Lowe, and her breakout role was in 1984's Blame It on Rio with Michael Caine. And then just like Rob Lowe, she was in 1985's St. Elmo Fire before About Last Night. Jim Belushi plays Bernie, and of course, Jim Belushi is the brother of comic legend John Belushi. His career began in the late 1970s on a few little-known TV shows, and he had small roles in movies like Thief with James Caan and Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy and Jamie Lee Curtis. He was also on Saturday Night Live for three years, from 1983 to 1985, which probably nobody remembers. <laughs> he played a similar role as the buddy of the main character in The Man with the One Red Shoe with Tom Hanks a year prior to About Last Night. Elizabeth Perkins plays Joan, and I pretty much covered Perkins' early career in the big episode, that's of course the Tom Hanks movie, and About Last Night was Perkins' film debut. The director, Edward Zwick. He began his career as a TV director, and About Last Night would be his movie directing debut, as Ebert mentioned. Three years later, he would direct a fabulous film about the Civil War called Glory. Okay, let's get into the film. So it starts with a bang, pun totally intended, as Bernie, Jim Belushi, explains about all of his latest sexual conquests with his buddy Danny, Rob Lowe. Belushi is just perfect in this role as the obnoxious blowhard friend. He doesn't care who is around him when he's telling his stories, which is amusing. Also, instead of your standard opening credits, the film cuts back and forth between scenes with Danny and Bernie in the title cards. I actually appreciate the changeup here. So? So what? So tell me. What? About last night. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Are you pulling my leg? So? So tits out the here, so? Yeah? Yeah. Twenty couple years old. You gotta be fooling. No. Nope. You devil. What? You think she hadn't been around? Yeah. Hadn't gone the route? She knew the route, did she? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah? She wrote the route. No shit. So tell me. So okay, so where am I? So you're probably at the pancake house. So, okay. I'm over at the pancake house. Who walks in over to the cash register but this chick? Right. Yeah, 19, 20 year old. Who we're talking about? She wants to buy a pack of Viceroy's. Oh, I can believe it. Gets the smokes and does this number about how she forgot her purse up in her room. Up in her room? Yeah. Was she a pro? At that age? Yeah. Well, at this point, we don't know. So down we sit, we get to talking this, that, blah, 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 and it's come up to my room and I'll pay you back for the smoke. No. Yeah. Your shit. I'm telling you. And was she a pro? At this point, we don't know. But up we go. And it's, sit down. You want a drink? Well, what do you got? Bourbon. Fine. And then what shot does she up and pull? Hey, she says, I think I want to take a shower. No. Yeah. And B, she says, then let's fuck. She said that. What did I just tell you? You're getting Was she a pro? At this point, we don't know. So anyway, I do say I'll join you in the shower if you have no objections. Of course. So when do the old shower we go? Does this broad have a body? Yeah. Are you kidding so me? Tell me? The tits? Yeah. The legs? Ass. Are you fucking fooling me? The ass on this broad? Young ass? Well, yeah, young broad, young ass. Right. So anyway, we get out, toweling each other up in his or her full glory. Yeah. But while we're toweling off, I flick the towel at her very playfully like. And by accident, it catches her a good one on the ass. Thwack, we got this big red mark. Oh, no. Well, I'm all sorry and so forth. But what does this broad do but let out a squeal of pleasure and relief that would fucking kill a horse? No. So what the hell? I'm liberal. I pick up a chair and I heave it at her. Draw blood? At this point, no. But what is she saying? Wait a minute. She crawls under the bed, pulls out the suitcase from under the bed. From out of the suitcase comes this World War II flak suit. Oh, no, oh, sure. Zip, zip, zip. She gets in the flak suit. We get down in the bed. What are you doing? We're fucking. But she's in the flak suit. Right. Well, how do you get in? 
Well, she leaves the zipper open. Right, right. But the shot is, every 30 seconds or so, she wants me to go boom at the top of my lungs. Not her? No, just in general. So we're humping and pumping and greasing the old flax suit. Every once in a while, I go boom. In the middle of everything, she slithers over the side of the bed, turns out a little Sony tape recorder. Uh -huh. Wait, 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 wait. I don't know what the shot is, right? All of a sudden, I hear coming out of the tape recorder, kabow, kabow, kabow. So fine. I'm pumping away. The tape recorder's making airplane noises. Every once in a while I go boom, and the broad on the bed starts going crazy, right? She's moaning and groaning, I'm humping and bumping. She's screaming, red dog run to red dog squatting, right? All of a sudden she screams, wait a minute, right? She leans into the bed, pulls out a five-gallon jerry can, opens it up, it's full of gasoline. She splashes them all over the walls, whips the fucking zip out out of her flag suit, and whoosh, the whole room goes up in flames, right? So the tape recorder's going rat tat 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 the room's full of smoke right the broad jumps back on the bed she screams now give it to me now for the love of christ so i look at the broad and i figure fuck this nonsense one two six i'm in the hall struggling in my shorts make it to the elevator whole place is filled with smoke elevator arrives the whole hall's filled with firemen. You know, those fucking firemen make out like bandits. Nobody does it normally anymore. That's these young broads, Danny. They don't know what the fuck they want. Do you think she was a pro? A pro, Dan. Yeah. A pro is how you think of yourself. See my point? Right. Come on, you scumbags. Last inning. Only one run down. We hold him down. At this point, we don't know. I love that line from Belushi. So then we cut to Bernie and Danny playing softball. Bernie ends up hitting a home run and like only he can, struts around the bases like a king, but also literally picks up a woman while rounding third base and carries her to home plate before placing her down and kissing her. Oh, Bernie. In the meantime, a group of women are watching the game and admiring Danny. In between innings, Danny ends up chatting with Debbie, Demi Moore, while she grabs a beer from the keg. Danny tries to charm her, but to no avail. As it turns out, she's sleeping with her boss, so who also plays for the team that Danny's team is playing against. Joan, Elizabeth Perkins, is also in the attendance and is Debbie's best friend. After the game, everyone heads to the bar, which is called Mothers, who also sponsors Danny and Bernie's team. Debbie and Joan also show up to the bar, and Joan talks about her job as a kindergarten teacher, as only she can. You know, they're going to come at me tomorrow like savages, marauding beasts bent on destruction. Stop it. Deborah, Deborah, you work in advertising, all right? It is a civilized business. I, on the other hand, work with monsters. You're talking about five-year-olds. Right, and my job is to break their spirit. That's what kindergarten is all about. <laughs> the Germans invented it, Deborah. <gasps> Think about it. <gasps> It might seem obvious, but there are similarities here between the friends. Bernie and Joan are outspoken and funny, while Danny and Debbie are more quiet and reserved types. Danny sees Debbie and ends up trying to flirt with her again. So. So. So I, I couldn't help noticing you and noticing you noticing me. There was a clock over your head. So, 
I'll bet these have been put to a lot of use. Oh, they work. Good, because I just got them today. <laughs> I basically cut the scene uh, a bit early, but it's very 80s. Debbie and Danny are listening to music through dual headphones uh, from Danny's stereo under the candlelight, and eventually one thing leads to another, and they are all over each other. We then cut to the aftermath, and as Danny is sleeping on the floor while Debbie tries to awkwardly sneak out without waking him or even saying goodbye, she almost makes it through the door when Danny appears and tells her she doesn't need to sneak out. However, Debbie just wants to get out of there after what she assumes is nothing more than a one-night stand. Debbie comes home to find Joan, who is also her roommate, on the couch hilariously describing the guy she slept with, which is like a beach whale. (laughs) I believe that was her description. I could be wrong. But he was a big fat guy. We then quickly cut to the next day, and Bernie is describing who he hooked up with the night before to Danny. Since we never saw whom Joan was describing during her hookup, we might think that it's Bernie, but that's not the case. I suppose it would have been too convenient to have this happen. In any case, Danny calls Debbie that afternoon to ask her on another date. Debbie initially turns him down, but she and Joan do end up showing up at Mother's Bar, where Bernie works his charm on Joan. (laughs) sit down. Here, here you go. Here, sit. Bernie, this is uh, Debbie. This is Bernie. Hi. Hi. You know, you're a very attractive woman. Anybody ever tell you that before? Huh? Bernie. What? This is, uh, uh, uh. Joan. Joan, Bernie. Joan, that's a nice name. So sit down. Uh, you want a drink? Uh, mother, no, some uh, drinks? I, I, I don't want anything. I, uh, I gotta go. Wait, 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 wait. What do you do? me well yeah for a living i'm a neurosurgeon you um i'm a professional boxer you know much about the fight game no i'm the heavyweight champion of the world well it's nice to meet you champ but i gotta go wait come on one drink one drink's not gonna hurt i have something better to do deb i'll meet you at the steam bath tomorrow six dan yeah nice meeting uh, you Interesting broad. Where she develop her personality? A car crash? She really is very nice once you get to know her. Yeah, yeah, right, sure. Uh, are you gonna sit down? Shoot, no, 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 no. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys do what you guys gotta do. Don't worry about me. I'm just gonna go home, make a little macaroni and cheese, seal the window, and turn on the gas. Debbie ends up coming back again to Danny's apartment, and they again sleep together. So even though Debbie is still somewhat hung up on her boss, named Steve, played by Robin Thomas, you can tell she likes Danny, but isn't completely sure. However, after their second night together, we get the obligatory, which is always enjoyable, 80s dating montage of the couple in romantic bliss going around town on dates, which I believe is just one afternoon, though it could be a few weeks for all we know. 
Anyway, Sheena Easton's So Far So Good is the montage song as Debbie and Danny go to a Chicago Cubs game. They go to an art museum, a diner, the beach, and more sex, of course. All the while, their respective bosses and best friends are wondering, why aren't they at work or hanging out like they used to? Joan makes sure Danny knows how she feels about him dating her best friend when he comes over to their place to pick up Debbie the next day. Oh, God, another smoker. Look what you mind. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, you're eating. I know what you mean. My boss is mad at me, too. Ha <laughs> ha, I bet he was. There. I just added another seven minutes to your life. It's okay. I don't expect a thank you. Thank you. So, worried much about Western civilization? Not particularly. Not tonight. It's collapsing, or hadn't you noticed? I live in a pretty good neighborhood. Sorry I kept you waiting. Mm. We've got to go. Our movie starts in 10 minutes. Okay. Do you want to come with us? Sure. Well, just give me a minute to get ready. Now, Elizabeth Perkins is just perfect in her role, just like Jim Belushi is perfect in his role. In any case, Danny, like an idiot, listens to Bernie's advice and decides to play hard to get and not call Debbie for a few days. You know, the stupid games that young couples play, and frankly, older couples as well. Look, if you like each other, call, text, do whatever, but playing the hard to get game is just that. It's a game. In any case, Debbie and Joan end up seeing Danny and Bernie at a restaurant during lunch, and Debbie is very cold to Danny, as she should be, when he attempts to talk to her. And in a moment of revenge that she later regrets, she decides to go to her boss's apartment. Oh, God, I, I'm, I'm sorry. This is no good. I, I'm sorry. I don't think I can see you anymore. And don't be offended because I like you, and you know I do. I think you're terrific. It's, it's just that... Well, I'm... I'm seeing someone else. Who? Well, nobody. I mean, you don't know him. Okay. Okay, if that's the way you want it. See what happens when people don't say, I love you. You know, sometimes you can be a real son of a bitch. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Come on. I thought we had something kind of special. No. It was kind of sleazy, and now it's, it's kind of over. Just a minute! Well, my next guest now is Tom on deck. He has a fairly fascinating book here. Hi. Hi. Are you okay? Well, uh, was something the matter? Nothing. Everything's great. I just was... Bye. Wait a minute. I, I, I just want to let you know that I, I was fine, in case you were wondering, and, and now I have. Uh, so good night. Oh, no, I was, I was going to call you, and I should have called. Look, don't try to make me feel better, okay? I mean, I don't care if you call me. In fact, don't. Look, just, just don't try to make me feel better, okay? Look, you want to come in? Damn, I may be easy, but I'm not stupid. Just for a minute. 
I missed you. Just for a minute. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yep, the chemistry they have, you can't deny, and they end up having sex again. Danny almost says he loves her and tries to cover it up, but they both know they're falling, or fallen, for each other. After a few months together, Danny asks Debbie to move in, much to Joan's dismay. Right, and what in the hell do you think you're doing? Oh, uh, some of those are Jones. Oh, I'm sorry. Here, do you want to separate them? Well, they're not going to separate themselves now, are they? No, I don't suppose they are. Here, is this your Shostakovich? It is Shastakovich, and it's mine. Oh, great, what are we going to do about the television set? So why don't you keep it? I got a TV. Good for you. No, really, I insist on paying for at least half of it, so why don't I write you a check? That's fine. I'll, I'll just pick it up next week. When? Can you come by, like, Tuesday night? Uh, can Debbie come by on Tuesday night? <laughs> That's fine. That's good. Now if you can find it in your heart to take this thing and shove it up your ass. Ah, that is very telling. And on your instructions, I am supposed to rend and torture myself anally. Is that what you're into? Does Deborah know about this? Look, you're moving out, so move out. She's moving out. Well, she's moving out. We'll move her out then in the hell with you. <laughs> So that leads to another montage, this time an 80s moving in scene. Come on, who doesn't love 80s montages, especially with Jim Belushi acting goofy? In all seriousness, it's a good scene because Debbie is moving into his apartments, and she's rearranging what he's used to. And unless there's some compromise, it doesn't always lead to a fun experience, and this montage is a good way to show this reality. After the montage, Danny gets a surprise call from his ex-girlfriend. Um, I got it. Hello? Danny? Hi. It's Alex. Long time no see. Uh, yeah. Fine. Is this a bad time? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I kind of met somebody. So? <laughs> so? Hey, listen, Dan. You think my husband and kids are replicants? Hey, sweetheart, you know we all have to make sacrifices in our personal relationships. <laughs> She's there. Uh-huh. Well, give her a kiss for me. And Dan, I'd like to leave you with one final bit of advice. I'm in the book. Dal, would it tell you the truth we're living together? Yeah, and... Oh, her name's Debbie. Oh, thank you. Now, I'll tell her. Oh, same to you. Bye-bye. Don't tell me. Your cousin? <laughs> nah, that was my mom. Mom disappointed you won't be sleeping with her anymore? It was an old girlfriend. But it... I mean, it's, it's history. You heard me say it, right? It's okay. I guess I'll just, I'll just have to get used to it. Hmm. You know, what kind of tea is this? Because it's actually pretty good. I don't What's going on here? Do you not want me here? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't. I mean, we gave this our best shot, and it didn't work out. But what the hell? We tried, right? I mean, this is nuts. I mean, we talked about this once. For, what, ten minutes in bed? It's not all that complicated. Oh, it's already different. I mean, this changes everything. We Things are going to change a little bit. 
Look, we're not Siamese twins. We're not gonna be fused at the hip. We're not talking about marriage. Are we? No. Well then, all right. I mean, look, you're gonna have your life and your friends. I'm gonna have mine. You're always covered. You always have just the right thing to say. So, what, do you think my responses are programmed? You think I'm a... a... a replicant? Shit! What do you think you're doing? Give me that! Oh. I'm sorry. Oh. I made this in Girl Scouts. It's nice. That was for my hope, Jess. Our place. You're not an overnight guest anymore. So Danny at work has to deal with his boss who told him to cut off the contract with the diner that Danny's been going to since he was a kid. Danny always wanted to own his own restaurant, and the owner of the diner is like a father to him. So this is incredibly difficult. This leads to him being distraught at home, which Debbie notices. She's also upset because she feels like even though they live together, they don't even really know each other. Of course, this leads to another reflective montage, where the two are basically playing house together. The montage gets Bob Seger's Living Inside My Heart as the song. It's also full of love scenes and glamour shots of Demi and Rob looking at each other, mostly naked, by the way. (laughs) Gotta love the Brat Pack 80s. But reality is also blending in after the we love each other montage. Debbie has a pregnancy scare. She isn't pregnant. Danny is basically fired from his job after he decides to disobey his boss and not cut off the diner from their contract. Danny later goes back to his job with his tail between his legs, but he's miserable. And on top of it, it's Thanksgiving. And Danny and Debbie are fighting because of preparing for a big dinner for them, plus Joan and Bernie are appearing. So Thanksgiving dinner happens, and it's not a disaster per se, but it's obvious that early romantic bliss has definitely faded, and reality is setting in of living together, and neither one of them is handling it well. So the two struggle through the holiday season, and Christmas time rolls around, and Debbie still has to deal with her boss, who seems to miss what they had together before she met Danny. Alan, my friend Alan, how are you? I <laughs> Would you hold this for me, please? Oh, I'll be All right, thank you. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Hey there. Don't you ever think about me anymore? Sure. What we had was pretty good, wasn't it? Huh? It was fine. <laughs> Remember last year's party? What we did when we came in here? Steve, don't. Just just turn on I the lights. Stuff I'm in your mouth to keep God laughing. God damn it, Steve. What? Look, there's somebody else now. Well, you're not married. I don't see a ring. I don't need a ring. I don't need a ring, you asshole. Look at me. Don't I look different? I mean, I'm in love. Can't you tell? I mean, this has never happened to me before. I, I want to have ten kids with this guy. I mean, Jesus, doesn't it show? Does he love you? I don't know. 
Thanks. Good luck. Here we go. Hi, honey. Um, this is my boss, Steve. This is this is Dave. Whoa! Hey, Dave. God, take it easy. Take it easy. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, bad timing for Danny as he arrives early to pick up Debbie just after a non-romantic hug between Debbie and her boss. Anyway, New Year's Eve rolls around, and everyone ends up at Mother's Bar, and then the shit really hits the fan, especially with Joan and her so-called perfect boyfriend. Look, I, I couldn't tell you. What? I, I just couldn't tell you before. Just New Year's kiss. One New Year's kiss. Okay, one, one, one New Year's kiss. She falls apart, so you gotta take care of her. Gary just dumped her. <laughs> Proving to herself once again that all men are selfish bastards. That's not fair. Hey, that broad don't know thing one about keeping a guy happy. I mean, I'm surprised the guy didn't leave skid marks. Honey, why don't you put her in a cabbie? Because it's New Year's Eve. Well, you know what? Give the cabbie 50 bucks and maybe she'll get a New Year's pop. Sometimes you're funny. Sometimes you're just slime. Don't you see a pattern here? She sets him up. She puts her hooks in him. And he tries for daylight. And he's a bad guy. He's the asshole. No, you're the asshole. Hey! 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 Come back here! Come here! Debbie takes Joan home. And later that night, the inevitable between Debbie and Danny happens. Dan? In here. I'm sorry, it's just not working out, is it? Here we go. Just say it, Dan. What? Just say what you're gonna say.
I think one of us should move out. I do too. I'm sorry. What? I said I'm sorry. <clears throat> for what? What are you sorry for? I'm sorry that it didn't work out. I need some time. What? What the hell is that supposed to mean? You know, you started out real strong and now you're finishing like a wimp. Why didn't you just quit while you were ahead? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Oh, good. Let's see your face on that one. Do you mind? Good. Because I think we've been in the dark long enough. I know why I'm leaving. What's your story? What killed it for you? The radical change in your lifestyle? Decided you wanted to travel light? Oh, come on, Debbie. Or was it just that you were afraid that somebody better might come along and you would be stuck with me? Look, why can't you just see this for what it is? And what is it? What it is. Nothing more, nothing less. Oh, what, two people committed to screwing until they get sick of each other? That's so great. That's really special. Look, I don't want marriage. I don't want kids. I don't want to be tied down. I'm not happy. I don't love you anymore. Fine. I'm gone. It's done. And you can go back to doing whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do it with. And whatever orifice you want to do it in. Hey, you leave here knowing one thing. I never fooled around. Not once. Well, let's just give the boy a medal. Forgive me. I didn't realize it was such a sacrifice. <laughs> The line where Danny says he doesn't love Debbie anymore was actually improv by Lowe when Demi Moore was having difficulty crying during the scene, and that line did the trick. Alright, the breakup and moving out then occurs, and there's about 30 minutes left in the movie. So what happens? Do they meet different people and live happily ever after, or do they rekindle what they once had? Well, it's up to you to find out for yourself. This movie is interesting. Again, you would think it's a romantic comedy, but it's really mostly a drama. I'm actually surprised how much Ebert enjoyed this movie, but it's definitely of the time, and frankly, the drama that Danny and Debbie go through is something that all couples have to deal with. So for that, I believe it still stands the test of time. Plus, Belushi and Perkins are terrific, and you get two of the most attractive actors of their generation with Demi Moore and Rob Lowe, so there's that as well. But I couldn't leave you with this final hilarious interaction between Bernie and Joan. This call was half hour ago. Give me a gin and tonic or I will kill you. Just one. You know, I've been wanting to do this my whole life. Like to buy the house around the drinks, mother? To think I didn't think that you didn't have a decent bone in your entire body. Hey, you want to leave my bone out of this? You are a filthy scumbag. Thank you. And you dress for shit. Who dresses you in the morning? Here you go, guys. A toast. To Danny and Debbie. 
Well, they're better off anyway. Fucking A. I mean, she's happy, right? Ecstatic. Well, so is he. I bet you she starts banging her boss again. I bet he catches a disease. <laughs> you know what, Joan? If you didn't have a pussy, there'd be a bounty on your head. You know that? And you are a psychopathic, schizophrenic, maladjusted social misfit who is clearly in the middle of a very deep homosexual panic. Yeah, yeah, right. So you want to dance or what? All right, some fun facts. The original title of this film was going to be the same as the original play from David Mamet, Sexual Perversity in Chicago. The title was changed after many newspapers and TV stations refused to run ads for the film with such a title, and they changed it to, of course, About Last Night. Originally, this movie was to be made with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, but after John Belushi asked his brother Jim, who had starred in the play previously, Jim said that he didn't want John to take the part because Jim didn't want to be compared with his brother. Rob Lowe recalled that when his agent sent him the script by messenger, a strange thing happened. He started to read it in the bathtub, and he was only going to skim the first few pages. But by page 73, the water was cold, and he was totally into the character. At that point, he hadn't even discussed whether he'd do the picture, but he knew that nothing could stop him at that point. Elizabeth Perkins recalled her first meeting with co-star Demi Moore, and she said, We were fascinated by how much we didn't have in common. She had never done a play, and I'd never done a picture, so there's plenty to talk about. When we arrived on set, which would be our apartment, and found it decorated in detail for each of our characters, Demi said, Okay, which bed do you want? And And we started giggling, and we couldn't stop, and suddenly Debbie and Joan were friends. To producer Jason Brett, the Bernie character tests us as an audience. Just when we feel like writing him off, he wins our forgiveness with vulnerability. Bernie has some of the most offensive opinions ever uttered in a movie. An ordinary actor would make the words vulgar, but Jim Belushi makes them almost poetic. Phoebe Cates auditioned for the role of Debbie. If you're a younger listener, you might know that this film was remade in 2014 with a predominantly black cast starring Kevin Hart, Michael Ely, Regina Hall, and Joey Bryant. All right, we have special guest Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast, and of course, Podcast Rock City. He's a frequent guest on Damn Good Movie Memories, and of course, I'm a frequent guest on Grown Up Rock Podcast, and he's always got great things to say, and he is of this era, so he loves talking about About Last Night, so we'll have that up next, and I'll be back next week for yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock Podcast, and of course, Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Thank you very much. Glad to be here for the pseudo chick flick we're going to talk about here. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. So about last night, the original from 1986, we will talk about if you've seen the remake, but the the one with Rob Lowe and of course, Demi Moore and Jim Belushi makes it less of a chick flick than, than it needs to be. Don't you agree? A Belushi telling the stories. He's the only guy that can pull this off because he really doesn't shut up. No, not at all. He's that guy. Yeah, and I've got a friend like that, so it's like, oh my god, this is exactly who I hang out with right now. And uh, you have to have a friend like that, I think, because for us quieter guys, and I know you have a similar personality to mine, like we can be outgoing when we need to be, but sure. reality is, like, we're not going to be the life of the party. Like we can be, but it, we don't have to be. We have to have those people kind of around us to bring it out of us sometimes. Absolutely. And you got to play the crowd. So I think you're, yeah, exactly. You're probably the same way you can, you can gauge a crowd better. Like if you know that you can get away with certain things, you'll, you'll do it. But if not, uh, I think you and I are both good at, uh, hanging back if we need to. 
Yeah, and I thought it was interesting because <laughs> right at the beginning when the story's getting told, right, Low keeps jumping in to yeah. ask, well, you know, was she a pro? Was she a pro? Right. Well, at this point, we don't know. Right. <laughs> um, and that happens a couple of times. And I'm like, I think I would do the same thing. It's like, I'm trying to figure out if this story is believable, which the story's ridiculous. There's no way that fucking story's believable. No but, way. Um, but, uh, I, I think I would have to ask some clarifying questions to kind of judge if this guy's just rambling or did this actually happen? Well, and that's, and that's, you bring up the best point. The, the punchline, this whole thing is he keeps saying at this point, we don't know. Like, like that is, that's what makes this super, super funny. And you'll, you'll keep going along with them because he just, he, he keeps saying that. And that's, it, it's a perfect, like almost like comedy routine. It's like the old, you know, Abbott and Costello, except much dirtier. Yeah, absolutely. And that story seems like, you know, they start daytime, they're in a bar. Like, how long did the story last? Like, <laughs> exactly. It's like all day long. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I think, what's perfect. That's a great point because I think he, as you, as they keep going and they're, then they're obviously drinking and whatnot, the story probably gets get crazier and crazier. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, okay. Have yeah. you ever played this 16 inch softball game? Oh, no, not like, not like that. No, I obviously played softball, but not like they were playing. So initially, when I first saw the movie, I'm like, why are they, don't they have gloves? gloves. Like, what yeah, the hell are exactly. they doing? They're playing softball. Then I saw the size of the softball. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> uh, I guess it's big in the Midwest, this spongy, mm-hmm. like, bigger softball. Yeah. Have you, I don't even think, the West Coast, I don't think I've ever seen anybody play it. I've never seen that. I have friends that play softball. I should ask them. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. At first, yeah, I was like, well, yeah, they must be playing Oh, these guys are real men, you know, <laughs> like, they're like, like no gloves are going back to the 1800s. But no, that's uh, that's a good point. And of course, Belushi is your typical like blowhard, you know, that he thinks he's going to hit a home run every time and that type of thing. Oh, yeah. And it's a straight up beer league. Right? Oh, There's totally. no doubt about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know about you. So when I first saw this, I was um, and it wasn't when it first came out because it was too risque for my parents to let me watch. So I was probably a teenager in the early nineties when I, when I finally saw this and, uh, I liked it, but I didn't, I was expecting, you know, I kind of like the breakfast club and it was kind of fun John Hughes movies. And as I've gotten older, this movie definitely resonates with me more, um, growing up and, you know, moving in with someone, things like that. Are, are you the same way or is this something you got right in the beginning? No, exactly the same way. Okay. You know, this was a rental for me. It was a date night movie with a girlfriend kind mm-hmm. of thing. But as I get older, the stories hit better, right? Yeah. Just, just like, you know, the girlfriend of the girlfriend is honestly the hardest person to please. I, totally. I've i been with my wife for more than half our lives. Her girlfriend was the hardest person to please. There was no <laughs> doubt about it, right? Where my friend was super easy, although they hate each other's friends in the movie all the way around. But, right. but that whole thing about when do you say I love you? When do you say move in? When do I say, should I give you a drawer? Like, do you talk about other people you dated? Now, I guess if you dated your boss and you see him every day, <laughs> maybe you do bring it up. <laughs> but it, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize that my kids are going to go through something similar because they're right. all teenagers. And I'm like, man, how hard. And there's no way to teach how to have those conversations. Not at all. Not at all. And you, I, I'm so glad you brought up the, the friends and, uh, cause Elizabeth Perkin plays that perfectly cause she's totally the polar opposite a couple years later and big, uh, when she, you know, she plays, uh, Tom Hanks's love interest in that, but here she's just like, Oh, she's a, she's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And that whole point of when she's mad during the move out, 
right? Yeah. She obviously she's thinking she's losing her best friend. Why are you moving in this jerk? Right. That kind of thing. And they're both missing both, uh, uh, Belushi and Elizabeth they are missing their friends. Cause they, they, you know, they kind of portray the movie of here's the, this couple that's newly together and they don't really have time for work or friends anymore. And right. I, I've done in my life, I've probably done a better job of that. Um, but I have friends that, you know, did it the same way. Really? It kind of goes to show you though, when these guys get together, you are better off moving into a new place yes. instead of moving into each other's. Cause I remember, uh, Nicole, that's my wife's name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her, her thinking about like, okay, well, were you on a, this couch with some other girls? I'm like, no, we were always on the floor. Of course. <laughs> right. I was like, well, we got to get a new couch, you right. know, that kind of thing. Right. So I think it's easier to move to a new place with new phone numbers. So there's no booty calls, like all that kind of stuff. Uh, totally amazing point because it's true. Like you're no matter how um, cool your, your significant other might be stuff like that's going to come up. And even something as simple as you've always had the bathroom a certain way, because that's how you've always lived. Uh, when you're starting fresh, you don't, you don't have that stigma of going back to what you're used to. Yeah. And I think people, it's one thing to date and kind of be on top of each other every once in a while. Sure. It's a whole other thing to be on top of each other every single moment of the yes, day. Like absolutely. The, and I, and I've had it happen to me a couple of times, right? I, I lived in, uh, Southern California for a while, apart mm-hmm. from the family coming home every other weekend, lived in Wisconsin. Or, so then when I came back a year ago, we had to transition back to, okay, why do you keep moving the toothpaste? <laughs> like I left it in a spot for a reason. So we have two separate toothpaste, two separate gels, two, right. like we have two of everything. So that way you don't just touch mine. Exactly. And you don't know any of this. You don't even think about any of this until you actually move in together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing also going in, and they're young. I don't know exactly how old, but I'm guessing like 23, 24. And, and you're still discovering yourself anyway. Yeah, I was going to tell you about that. Yeah. So Demi is about a year older than Rob in mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. In the movie, she looks a lot older. Like yeah. Rob looks like he's a teenager. Oh, yeah, the baby face. Yeah. Um, I thought the line of the movie was Elizabeth when she says men and women also have sex when they want to have babies. And one of the kids asked what for, and she <laughs> said for about 10 to 15 minutes, dude, I had not really <laughs> understood that or heard it till the other day. I was dying laughing. My wife's like, what the hell are you laughing about? I'm like, gotta hear this line. This is the line of the century right here. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because, I mean, her being a school teacher, like she would be the last person you'd think that would be a school teacher because you just didn't seem like she has that that warm personality, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I thought she played a great part. Um, and I thought it was also interesting that it did a good job of uh, keeping it relationship real. Like, you know, the guys are like, oh, you don't call more than once a week. You, you know, you, you're going to sound like you want to be all over. Her. And then the girls are like, oh, he didn't call. He must be doing somebody else. Like there's this. The director did it and the story right total is so real. Yeah. And I think that's why they did a remake. I, I haven't seen the remake because yeah. doesn't it have, uh, uh, what's his name? Kevin. Hart. Kevin. Yeah. Yep. So I haven't seen the remake because I'm actually a little bit scared to see it because I don't know how you remake this movie with a comedian. Right. Exactly. Cause you're always going to be thinking him as, you know, this goofy guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, okay. I thought I the movie either. was written really, really well. 
so you have obviously at the time probably the two most gorgeous people in the industry with Rob Lowe and and, and Demi Moore. So it's like I, I don't uh, you can't think. I mean, who today would be like the gorgeous couple that you would um, you know hook up like that? Because even today they like and they're in they're in probably the late fifties, early sixties. They still look perfect. Yeah, you would have had to get like a young J Lo. Yeah, right and. Uh, I guess, well, uh, just like Money Train, I guess you could have done Wesley Snipes kind of thing, uh-huh. right? Because you have to have somebody who's willing to be serious but is not seen as a comedic actor. Like Jim Carrey's not going to be able to play this. Like no. his no. other, and I don't mean to typecast actors, but reality is, is that you remember certain people as certain things like Harrison Ford. I can't imagine him being anything but Indiana Jones, but I do watch other movies that I enjoy. Sure, sure. Well, you a uh, perfect example, Kevin Hart. You think of Kevin Hart as like that happy go lucky, you know, buddy cop almost type uh, type of actor. Yeah. yeah, and it works against Kevin Hart both ways because he did that one uh, movie, The Upside. I haven't yep. seen it yet because I'm like, uh, that's too serious. I don't want to see Kevin Hart that way. Right. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, you're totally right about Jim Carrey because he did like, you know, Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And he's done kind of like semi-serious stuff. Even Adam Sandler did Punch Drunk Love. But it's just, yeah, those, I appreciate them wanting to try something different. But it's really hard for fans to to kind of get out of that mindset. I guess it's a it's a good thing for them. I mean, they're they're obviously making so much money off what they're they're good at. But then I'm sure it's frustrating at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to floor you. You know my sure. favorite Elizabeth Perkins movie? Oh, no. I, I have no idea. The Flintstones. No. <laughs> For real. For real. Because it's one of my favorite cartoons. Uh-huh. And when the Flintstones came out, I'm like, oh, that's going to be good. And then Halle Berry. I'm like, oh, I'm in. <laughs> this movie absolutely rocks. <laughs> You know, I don't know if I've ever seen this all the way through either. Oh my God, you have to yeah. see it. It's a good movie. Oh, and uh, yeah, that's true. Rick Moranis is in it. Oh uh, yeah, I got okay. I will see it. I will see it. I do not own it, so we will not talk about it on the podcast. But I'll go see it. <laughs> uh, we're still in a pandemic, folks. I still have time to watch movies whenever. Uh, how did you feel about Rob Lowe and his kind of relationship with his boss at work? It's also uh, Jim Belushi's boss. And then how, did you think his dream of opening up a diner was realistic or that seemed kind of like a, a shoehorned in little little plot device? It's a good question because I thought what was going to happen is that was going to keep him and Demi together right? Okay. because it was kind of her idea, right? Kind of encouraging him. And, you know, I saw a lot of me and Nicole in that because Nicole is constantly encouraging me. And I think if you have a partner that absolutely loves you that they, that's what they do. Right. Right. You do that for each other. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought that, that, that would happen before Demi left and that the story would have moved to, he got the restaurant and now he's too busy and doesn't spend enough time with her. Right. And he's spending too much time there. I thought they did a good job of circling back to the swallow restaurant to where that's kind of where he ends up in the end. And I liked the play on, Look, I get it. You want to make money, but this guy, he he's not making any money in the restaurant. Like we got to got to lay off of him, but he still needs the supplies. Like you got to give this guy a chance. Yeah. So then that kind of makes you feel like although Demi's encouraging him to be a owner, that maybe he wouldn't be successful at it because he doesn't have the business mind but has the heart of people instead. You're right. Right. And and then you also have the other complication uh, that happens with some couples is it, Demi Moore is also successful in her own, you know, um, career. And, and and so it almost is like, you know, she's funding him <laughs> to do that. And so there may be um, 
you know, anger or, you know, somebody, you know, upset about, well, you're not being successful and here I am bringing in all the money and you're kind of just kind of doing this thing. And, um, it's almost like, you know, when, when someone's going to school and the other person's kind of, you know, fitting the bill for it. Uh, so yeah, that's another plot device that could have happened with that as well. Yeah. And, uh, that, that part of the movie, I was like, Oh, I probably would end up doing the same thing. Like when Demi says, you know, she makes plenty of money to tie us over. Like that's right. a huge ego hit. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I guess I'll go tail between my legs and go back and get my job, I guess. Yeah. Cause I don't want her hanging that over my head the rest of my life. It's, you know, has, have those times changed now? Like 1986. Totally. Yes. Man goes, makes money. Woman stays home, blah, blah, blah. I was still there a little bit. That's probably less now, but it's still an ego hit. I think it's an ego hit for the woman too. If that happens, yeah, no matter what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, okay. So looking back. Uh, obviously, we we both agree as you get old. This is someone for someone. <laughs> this isn't a teenager movie. It might have been sold as like kind of a teenager to early 20s movie. But really, this is going to resonate for people probably in their mid to late 30s and older. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I was also thinking about, you know, when you combine the home, right? Because that's where it hits home is it's really set up for folks new in their relationships or have just gotten into their first relationship two, three, four years in that sure. they would really connect with this movie or can remember that part in time. And when they're combining the whole, <laughs> combining the homes for the first time, <laughs> oh. I started remembering cause I looked over to Nicole. I'm like, I still don't know where my black leather jacket is. It, <laughs> it disappeared somehow from the, it, I had one in the late eighties. I'm like, how come I don't have it no more? Like, where is it at? Right. <laughs> a mir- I had this mirrored coffee table that I absolutely loved. I'm like, where, where did that go? Cause I don't remember saying this has to go away. Like, so there isn't really much left in my room here, except for the memorabilia that I have that's left over from my single days. Yeah. So was there, any, yeah. Okay. So did, <laughs> without revealing too, too much, did Nicole, like, she, were there certain things she's like, this has to go. There's no way you're keeping this. Uh, the couch had to go. That okay. was, she hated that mirror coffee table. <laughs> she absolutely, she hated that all the way okay. around. Uh, that was probably the two biggest things. Um, and then, you know, I bought everything on the cheap. Cause when you first move out, you get the cheapest sure. sheets, the cheapest, you know, cutlery, the cheapest, blah, blah, blah. And over time yeah. that all kind of goes away. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was probably the two biggest things. Okay. She was fine with all the, the memorabilia and. Oh, and oh yeah. Yeah. That's well, the, the rule we have in the house is mm-hmm. I have a room. That all that's in. I'm in okay. it right now. The uh-huh. door has to close so that way she doesn't have to see it. So when right. you're looking in the hallway, you have no idea what's in this room. That's great. That's perfect. So she basically gets the other part of that, like the rest of the house, and you get your one room. Yeah, to decorate. Yeah, I'm not allowed to put kiss posters in the living room. No, that does not work here. <laughs> Fair enough. And I would have to agree with that as well, even though I do like kiss. I'm with Nicole on that one. As always, thank you so much, uh, Sonny. Thanks so much for the hangout. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.